Okay, fantastic. The first three petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is a prayer that God loves. Obviously, it's in the Bible. This is one of the the Bible-sanctioned prayers that we just can't go wrong with. And I was thinking earlier this week, you know, I grew up in the church. I, I have not always walked with Jesus, but I grew up in the church. And so I grew up in a home where we prayed often, or we prayed at the dinner table. We prayed, my father prayed with me before bed. My mom and dad prayed with me from a young age. And sometimes we can lose sight of the fact of the enormous privilege it is to pray. You guys understand what I mean? Um, I mean, if you had a king's ear, that would be amazing. But you have the ear of the king of the universe. I mean, you have his, you have his ear. I mean, it's the most amazing thing in the world to think that the supreme ruler of the universe invites us to draw near to him and talk to him. He's never too busy. He's never too distracted. He's never disinterested. And he's never too tired to hear us. And yet, if we're honest, many of us find that our prayer lives are lacking and maybe severely lacking. Uh, We find ourselves, our prayer lives haphazard, sometimes half-hearted, not really engaged with God, not really feeling what we pray, not really into it, you might say. We often get distracted, don't we? God is not distracted, but we get distracted. I find, find myself like the kid that has the attention deficit disorder every time I pray, right? Like my mind just jumps here and there and I want to pray to God. Often we don't know what to pray and we don't know how to pray. Quite frankly, we are like the disciples, the disciples who needed to be taught to pray. In Luke chapter 11, it says this, Luke chapter 11 is the parallel passage to Matthew 6. So it's, it's Luke's account of the Lord's prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, it says, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What would it be like to witness in person the Lord Jesus praying? Well, these guys did. They witnessed Jesus praying. And whatever they saw, they said, Lord, teach us to do what you just did. Teach us to pray. And even right now, I just wonder if we could have the humility of the disciples to say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. And so the Lord's prayer is what Jesus taught them. He says, when you pray, pray this or say this, our Father. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the Lord's Prayer is the best teacher in the world teaching us how to pray, teaching us what to pray. Not exhaustively. It's not that the Lord's Prayer is all that we can pray, but it, it does give us a model for prayer. And if, this is the, if Jesus is the best teacher, which he is, and he's teaching us to pray, we should listen. Don't you think? We should listen to what Jesus has to say about prayer. And so what we saw two weeks ago is that Jesus tells us to address God as our Father in heaven. These are not throwaway words. Jesus wants us to know God as Father. He wants, he invites us into a new world of relating with God. Relating with God as a Father. 
a father who is the very fountain of all goodness. Right? We, we, we sung earlier about let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart, heart to thee. We are, we're talking to the father who is the fountain of all that is good. The father who seeks to share his riches, the riches of his grace to his redeemed children. The father who is full and overflowing with life and love for his dearly loved sons and daughters. And so in prayer, Jesus is inviting us to know and enjoy what he has always known and enjoyed, namely intimate fellowship with the Father. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. It's not just going through a list of things we want God to do. We are coming to our Father. We're coming to God the Father. There's, a, there's several passages in the New Testament, just nuclear-powered affirmations of the Father's love and grace and mercy that he lavishes upon his people. And if we were to take these to heart, they would irresistibly pull us toward God in prayer. And they just would like, it'd be that, that fetter that not only binds us to God, but pulls us toward him. Listen to Ephesians 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if you were to read Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, which actually I'd encourage you to do today later, verses 3 to 14 of Ephesians 1, what what Paul does, he simply unpacks all, all of these spiritual blessings that the Father has given us in Christ. It's amazing. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then it goes on to just unpack for us this inheritance that we have in Christ. And these are meant not only to warm our hearts, but they are meant to fill our hearts with a sense of the Father's love and grace that he has poured out upon us. And of course, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, just after Jesus teaches to pray by asking and seeking and knocking, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. He says this, he says, if you then, who are evil, speaking of parents, but all of us can relate to this, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Amen? How much more? When you pray, do you come to God as your father who is like that? How much more will he give good things? Now, his idea of good things may not always be what we think of as good things, or I should say our list of things we want God to do may not fit into his list of good things always. But how much more will he give what is truly good for us? That's what Jesus, Jesus wants us to know, the Father who is gracious and overflowing. And so when we pray to the Father, when we pray to God the Father, he doesn't receive our petitions like, you know, like the Ankeny City Council might receive 
our petitions, the petitions of their citizens, you know, emotionally distant, unengaged. No, the Father is emotionally present. We are his beloved children in Christ. He is fully engaged. He is a Father who has first and foremost given us himself. And we understanding that the best thing God can give us is himself helps us to see this Lord, the Lord's Prayer through new lenses. Because one thing we're going to see in the Lord's Prayer, just as even thinking about it in our heads, how many here know the Lord's Prayer by heart? You remember, memorized it as a child or something, okay? Many of us did. Even thinking through the Lord's Prayer, there seems to be a divine, prior, uh, a divine structure in terms of priorities. If you notice this, the first part of the prayers are, first part of this prayer is, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then give us our daily bread. Right? You guys, but how often in our prayers do we just jump to give us our daily bread? We start there and we end there right? It's just give me my daily bread. Help me. Help me with the things I need help with, right? We come to God with our daily needs, and we should. Jesus teaches us to do this. But how often do we start there and we end there? Just with our list of things we want God to do for us. Jesus wants to teach us to pray. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We are to seek God for our temporal, the temporal things that we need. I mean, just healing for our bodies and financial provision for our families and relational help with our spouses or friends or children or parents. No doubt, we should pray for all of these things. But first, we should pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. I was thinking about this this week, and I've been thinking about the Lord's Prayer for the last year with some regularity and some depth, and I just think, oh, Lord, teach me more to pray this way. Where my priorities line up with your priorities. If we learn to pray this way, there's no telling what God would do in us and what God would do through us. And so let's take these requests one at a time. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. First, hallowed be your name. This is the first thing we're taught to pray. And this is a request. It's not a part of the address to God. I I think I probably thought that for years, that this was just a way of praising God. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or Father in heaven, Holy is your name, or praise your name. But this is actually a request. It's the first and most all-pervasive and all-encompassing request Jesus instructs us to pray. And it's that the Father's name would be hallowed. We don't use that word anymore. right? I mean, we hardly ever use that word, or maybe never. It's that God's name would be sanctified, or that we would regard his name as holy, that his name would be honored. Jesus is teaching us to pray that we would have a heart response to God where we would honor him 
at the deepest part of our heart and live accordingly. God's name reveals who he is, right? The names of God in the Bible, they are, they are his self-disclosure to us. For instance, the name El Shaddai. God has over, I think, over 200 names in the Bible. El Shaddai means God Almighty. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord, our healer. Yahweh means I am, that God is the self-existent God who has always existed and is self-existent in himself. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. El Elyon means God most high. These names show who God is. And Jesus is teaching us to pray that his name would be hallowed, that in our hearts we would regard him as holy and his name as holy. It's just like, think about how we got last names, surnames, or family names right? Somewhere in your history, someone in your family, there's something about them that their surname became that identifier. Does that make sense? Um, Let me give you an example. Johnson, the last name Johnson. Someone a long time ago, they were, their name was John. And so their, their children and grandchildren were sons of John or someone like Smith, right? Last name is Smith. Someone is in Colin's family way back when, probably was a silversmith or a goldsmith or a blacksmith. I would, you want to know what my last name means? Does anyone know? Okay. I love sharing it. Okay. I won't share it. It'd be too distracting. All right. Well, my degrote means, well, the verdict is still out apparently, but it means either the great or the big man. So either someone in my Either someone in my family was a great man in the village or they were an overweight man. I'm not sure. One of of the two. And so God is known by his name, by his names. And God wants to be honored and regarded as holy because of who he is. And we are to honor him and regard his name as holy. If a man wants to make a name for himself, he wants to do something in order to receive admiration and glory and love. I remember a couple years ago watching a portion of Michael Jordan's acceptance speech into the Hall of Fame. And it became very, very evident that Michael Jordan, at a young age, when he was overlooked for the varsity team, it bothered him. And he was determined to make a name for himself. He still talked with some anger about his high school coach overlooking him for the varsity team. And he wanted to make a name for himself. And he has. Well, God doesn't need to make a name for himself, but he wants his name to be known. He wants to be known for who he is. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Those who know your name, those who know you as El Shaddai, as Yahweh, as El Elyon, as Jehovah Jireh, they will put their trust in you. God wants to be known. He's not making a name for himself. He wants you and I to know his name and regard his name as sacred, as holy. And so, this is a glorious prayer. 
Jesus is telling us to pray for what is best for us. Is that we would know God truly and honor him in our hearts as he is worthy of being honored. Jesus is teaching us to pray that the Father would make his name supremely valuable in the minds and hearts of his people. That we would, that he, that, that God the Father would make much of himself in our minds and hearts. This is a prayer that we would have an increasing knowledge of God, joy in God, admiration of God, reverence for God, and love for God, leading to obedience to God. John Piper said, the first and overarching thing we are told by Jesus to ask God to do is that God would exercise his jealousy for his name. That God would display the greatness of God. That God would make much of God. That God would overcome blindness to seeing God. That God would overcome indifference to God. That God would remove obstacles to knowing and admiring and loving and trusting and treasuring and obeying God. This is what he's teaching us to pray when we pray, hallowed be your name. Is that God would overcome every obstacle in our heart to treasuring him above all things. And if he is the fountain of all that is good, there could be nothing better than for God to answer this prayer of ours. Hallowed be your name. The Father, the inexhaustible fountain of all that is admirable, all that is praiseworthy. We want him to be exalted in our hearts and in our lives and through our lives. And not just privately in our lives, but beyond us to the ends of our city and to the ends of the earth. This is a prayer that we would find our greatest delight and joy in in God, who is our greatest good. This is a prayer that God, for the glory of his own name, would work to make himself our supreme satisfaction, our greatest hope, our highest good, and our deepest joy. And even as I think about this, would you pray this for me? I, I want this. I long for this. Would you pray this for me and for each other? Think of Asaph in Psalm 73. Asaph was a man who struggled with things like you and I do. He looked around and he saw that in a world, in this world that God made for his glory, God's people often struggle and people that don't give a rip about God often seem to be doing well. And he's like, I don't get it. I don't get this. But then it says, I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood. And in verses 25 and 26, he says this. He says, oh God, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I desire nothing besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Why do you exist? Why are you here? Ever wonder? Why are we here? Is it, is it to live 80 or 100 years and just live it up as much as we can 
And hopefully we've believed in Jesus so we get to go to heaven when we die. No, that's not why we exist. The chief end of man, the answer is this. The chief end of man is that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever, starting now. Amen? So we would glorify him and enjoy him forever. That we would glorify God and enjoy him as our holy father forever. I think that's wonderful. I think that's amazing. There's no higher end to which we could give ourselves. This is why we exist. That is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. And listen to how Jesus describes eternal life. Eternal life. He says, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you want to know God? I would just say, if you're indifferent toward that, you might need to get saved. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've saved. Heaven is not some thing that we get. It is life with God forever. It's amazing. And Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name would be hallowed, that we would know him in such a way that he would be honored and glorified in our lives and through our lives. But we must also see that this prayer is ultimately a missionary prayer. It's not just a private prayer for me and my home, me and my heart, my home, my church, and so forth. This is a prayer for the name of God to be known and hallowed to the ends of the earth. And the Psalms teach us to pray this way. Psalm 86, 9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And so we pray that God would cause his name to be honored, loved, revered, feared, and treasured in our hearts and in our homes, and in our church, like here, and in the church, large C church, right? Wherever Christians are found, and to the ends of the earth. We long for this. Jesus teaches us to pray for this. Hallowed be your name. The Father loves to hear this prayer, and he loves to answer it. And it's our greatest good, so let's pray this way. The second petition, your kingdom come. I think we could add to it, your kingdom come, not mine. Your kingdom, not my kingdom. Your kingdom come. It's astounding and humbling that God advances his kingdom through our prayers. The kingdom being the rule and the reign of God on the earth. That's what it means when the the New Testament talks about the kingdom of God. It's talking about the reign and rule of God. When Jesus entered his public ministry, the message he preached was the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The kingdom has come because the king has come and he's brought it with him. Now the kingdom has not come fully, 
but it has come in part. Jesus likened the, the kingdom to a small seed that when planted grows up to be the largest plant in the garden. Or he likens it to a to a, a little bit of leaven that is put into a lump of dough and it's kneaded and kneaded and 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 eventually the leaven spreads to the whole lump. The kingdom of God has come and it we are to pray that it comes and it will come fully when Jesus comes. But right now, if you are a Christian, if you believed in Christ, if you've bowed your knee to his lordship, the kingdom of God has come to you. You have come under the king's reign and rule, and you are to live there. And so what does it mean to pray your kingdom come? What is, this, is not a throw, this is not just religious talk. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come. Well, it means at least at least four things. Probably more, but at least four things. First, to pray your kingdom come is a prayer of loyalty or allegiance. We are kingdom people now. You and I. If we've been brought into the kingdom of God, if we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son, we are kingdom people right now. We belong to the king, and we want to live under his rule. And so we pray that the Father would help us as his people live faithfully under the lordship of Christ. This is possibly a shift in just our thinking. We get up in the morning, and we think, what is on my agenda today? And, of course, we get up, and we have responsibilities and things to do. But is there, is there much thought... What does it mean to live under the lordship of Jesus today? What does it mean for him to be king and lord of my life today? Or to pray, your kingdom come. Father, help me to be faithful, a faithful soldier of the Lord Jesus, living loyally to him today. We pray that God's kingdom would come and that we would be more and more free from every remaining sin, every streak of rebellion in our heart, every dabbling with darkness in our heart. We pray for strength to resist the pull of the world and its ways so that we can be loyal soldiers to our king. Your kingdom come. To pray your kingdom come also is a prayer of war. It's a prayer, it's a prayer of, of allegiance. It's also a prayer of war. We want to see evil and darkness vanquished wherever it's found. You on the same page with me? We want that, don't we? We don't like evil and darkness. It's evil and it's dark. And we want it gone. And so we pray your kingdom come. When we pray this, we're praying that the powers of the devil would be defeated. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, If I cast out a demon by the finger of God or with, by the Spirit of God, Matthew and Luke say it slightly differently, but if I cast out a demon by the, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So when the kingdom comes... Satanic and demonic powers are overcome. Amen? 
We should pray your kingdom come. Demonic strongholds in people's minds are overcome with God's truth. We should pray your kingdom come for the overturning of evil laws in our city, state, or nation. We should pray your kingdom come. Amen? There's work to do too. I'm not saying we just pray your kingdom come, but we should pray, Father, your kingdom come. Do this, Father. Overturn every darkness, all evil for your glory. We realize that the kingdom will not come fully until Jesus appears, but until then we are constantly at war, seeking to advance the kingdom. And one way we do that is through prayer. You see, there's two ways to view that. There's two, I think, perverted ways to view this or wrong ways to view this. One is, well, I know Jesus is going to come and wrap things up. When he returns, it's all going to be taken care of. And so we sit back and do nothing. We see evil around us. We don't like it. We might even complain about it, but we do nothing. We don't pray your kingdom come. We don't do anything actively to seek to See darkness vanquished, which praying your kingdom come might be the best thing we could do. We just sit back and he's going to have to do it when he comes. Or we think that it is all on our shoulders and we are going to bring the kingdom. No, it is something that God brings. But we are to pray that he would. Third, to pray your kingdom come is a prayer of conquering. Again, we know the fullness of the kingdom is coming. And until then, we cry for the kingdom to come and conquer souls for salvation. For souls to be rescued and brought under the gracious rule and reign of King Jesus. For souls to be transferred from the domain of darkness to be transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Colossians 1 says, for spiritual blindness to be overcome so people can see the beauty of Christ. I know you have people you're praying for that they would come to know Christ. One way we pray is, oh God, may your kingdom invade their lives. Invade their lives, Father, for your glory that you'd bring them out of spiritual darkness. Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come. And fourth, to pray your kingdom come is a prayer of unstoppable hope. Of unstoppable hope. Jesus, our king, is coming again. I wonder if that makes you happy. He's coming again. Jesus, our King, is coming. And when he comes, he, will, he is bringing the fullness of his reign and rule. He's bringing the fullness of his kingdom. And the Bible says every knee will bow to Jesus. Every single knee will bow. They will either bow miserably as a defeated enemy or happily as a loyal subject. And we, when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying for that day to come. I mean, ultimately, we are praying, Lord Jesus, come, bring your kingdom. 
We love Christ. We want to see him face to face. And so we pray the kingdom for the kingdom to come. Like Paul, we pray, Maranatha, our Lord, come. Come, Lord. Eric Raymond is a pastor and author, and he said, through our prayers, it is as if the Holy Spirit lifts our chins above the earthly horizon to see the fleet of God's coming kingdom advancing on the open sea. And we cry, make haste, O King and kingdom come. Amen? This is a deeply subversive prayer to pray this. I mean, we want Jesus to come, and ultimately we want him to overturn every tyrant and their rule. The, the Roman Empire understood the subversive nature of Christianity in the first century. They didn't so much care that people confess Jesus as Lord, right? He could be Lord along with a hundred other lords or gods. What they had a problem with is when Christians would say, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Right? Jesus is Lord. He's the only Lord. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And we see the subversive nature of Christianity in these words, your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, come. We want God's rule to come. And we believe that it is coming and will come in its fullness. Albert Moeller wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. He calls it the revolutionary, the most revolutionary prayer, the prayer that turns the world upside down. He said this. He said, in this short prayer, principalities and powers hear their fall. Dictators are told that their time is up. Might will indeed be made right, and truth and justice will prevail. The kingdoms of this world will all pass away, giving, giving way to the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Your kingdom come. The third petition we're told to pray is, Your will be done. Your will be done. I think there's probably a couple different ways we could approach this or understand this request. I just want to focus on one angle today. What does it mean for God's will to be done in your life day to day? What does that mean for God's will to be done in your life? Certainly, it means at least that he would receive the, the worship and the obedience that he is owed as your Lord. The worship and the obedience that he is worthy of receiving. And it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? In heaven, there's perfect obedience and perfect worship of God. So we pray your will be done. Of course, we live in a world in which the will of God is scoffed at day after day after day, millions of times every single day. And how do we respond? We want his will to be done in and through us and beyond us. We want God's will to be done. Psalm 119, verse 136 
I'm often challenged by this verse when I hear this, the anguish of the psalmist. He says this, he says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Because people do not do your will. And maybe where we start is, oh Lord, break my heart for when I don't do your will. For when I'm indifferent to doing your will, when I'm indifferent to your moral standards, when I'm indifferent to doing what pleases you. And so boots on the ground in our homes, at work, and in our leisure, this is a prayer that we would, according to Ephesians 6.6, be servants of Christ, doing the will of God from our hearts. Doing his will. It is a prayer that we would be filled, according to Colossians 1, 9, and 10, with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. It is a prayer that we would be more and more like Jesus, who loved to do the will of his Father. He says, I I only do what my Father tells me to do. I I only say what he tells me to say. Jesus loved doing the Father's will so much, he called it in John 4, his food. My kids and I are going to go get a good lunch today. And I, I look forward to a good lunch, right? Good food, like it nourishes me. It's good for my taste buds, all of that. I love it. I love good food. Jesus said, doing the will of my Father is like food. John four thirty four says, I have food that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. So we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have this amazing, profound privilege and wonderful calling to pray. And in our praying, we, we are called to move, as, as, it, as it were, the hand of God and to pray that his name would be hallowed, his kingdom would come, his will would be done, that more and more people would delight in knowing him and rejoice in him that his kingdom would be advanced for his great glory in individual hearts and in neighborhoods and in churches and in cities and nations and governments and societies and for the holy will of God to be done in the halls of our homes and in the halls of Congress and everywhere in between. This is to be our prayer. And we are to pray laboring in hope that these prayers are and will be answered. I was thinking earlier this morning, just when I first got up, the thought popped into my mind. When we pray this way, we can have confidence that God hears and that he's answering our prayers because it's his prayer that he's given us to pray. These prayers are being answered now and they will be answered fully when the Lord Jesus comes again and when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. So let's pray. Hallowed be your name. Father, work in our hearts that your name would be honored and treasured and valued above above all the gold in the world, above all the treasures that this world can give. Father, may your kingdom come. May your rule and reign be exercised in my life and in my family and in our church and in my city and to the ends of the earth. And may your will be done in and through me and your people everywhere they're found. Let's pray this way. Let's pray this way. Father, your name, your kingdom, your will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray for these things. We do ask.